This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Bob Dernier, card number 642, outfielder for the Chicago Cubs. All right, Bob Dernier. And why are we talking about Bob today? Matt, I'm going to ask you to bear with me for a minute. A listener, Mike, on Facebook suggested this card. Well, not actually this card at first. He suggested a while back, rain delay hero Rick Dempsey. And I forgot about it for a while. And then the other day I was thinking, oh, let's talk about Rick Dempsey. So I started looking at his Sabre bio, looking videos of him doing his amazing comedic performances as Babe Ruth and Robin Yount. And then I went looking for the card and realized that there is no Rick Dempsey card in the 1988 top set, even though he played in 1987 for Cleveland. I think he played so badly for Cleveland that Topps assumed this nearly 40-year-old catcher is probably going to retire. Instead, Rick Dempsey comes back in 1988, plays for the Dodgers, plays in the World Series, and actually plays a significant role and ends up playing a few more seasons. But there's a weird gap between 87 and 89 where there is no Rick Dempsey card. He didn't even Mm. get in the traded set. So unfortunately... Listeners, I suggest you go back, listen to the Sammy Stewart episode. It's a little bit sad, but we do talk about Sammy Stewart and Rick Dempsey and Rain Delay Theater. But luckily, it took me so long to get to that Rick Dempsey card that doesn't exist that Mike had sent in a different request. And he asked, have you guys done Philly Cub journalism major Bob Dernier? And we haven't, so here you go, Mike. Thanks for listening, and thank you for the suggestion. Bob has a Sabre bio by John Racanelli, and this might be the first Sabre bio writer who I have met in person. I met John at a meetup at a Chicago Sabre chapter luncheon. So that was very nice to meet John. And in 2021, John hosted a Stay at Home with Sabre YouTube event live with Bob Dernier and Ryan Sandberg. So we'll include a link to that. This Sabre bio is really great and includes an interview. John spoke with Bob Dernier, so there's some really good quotes, and we'll rely heavily on that. Thank you, John Racanelli, for your work on this Sabre bio. Fantastic. Let's go to the front of 642. And David, this is a great-looking card. This is the most eye-black we've seen on a card by far, and Bob looks awesome. You've got the deep blue Cubs jersey with the blue undershirt underneath and the V-neck. The incredible amount of eye black, like a good three inches of eye black, three inches tall, six inches wide on each side. That may be a little exaggeration, but it's just massive. And the red wristbands, too, look really good. This is a great looking shot of Bob. I wish that they had his face on them. Sadly, these are not Mims bands. These are just plain red wristbands. He's got a ton of accessories, well accessorized, got an undershirt. He has no hat or helmet so either so maybe he would just did a first to third run or a stand-up double because there's no dirt on his uniform either so he was running so fast he lost his hat and bob was known for slick fielding in center field and his speed in center field as well as a lot of stolen bases good speed on the base paths that last name dernier it's mostly found 
outside of the U.S. in France, Belgium, and Canada. Not sure if Bob is French or Belgian, but his last name translated into French means last, as in il est arrivé dernier, he arrived last, or relevant to a baseball conversation, les Oakland Athletics ont terminé dernier, hmm. or the Oakland A's finished last. Let's go to the back of 642, and we have Bob Dernier, outfielder, six feet, 165, right-handed batter and thrower, signed by the Phillies as a free agent in 1977. Born January 5th, 1957 in Kansas City, Missouri, with a home in Blue Springs, Missouri. Bob was born in Kansas City. Oh, Kansas City, here we come. He was born in the Missouri one, the largest city in Missouri. Sorry, St. Louis. Growing up, both of Bob's parents played softball. His dad, Bill, worked for a sporting goods company, and his mom was a Western Union office manager. Bob went to Raytown South High School. Raytown is a suburb southeast of Kansas City. By 1960, it had around 17,000 people. By 1970, when Bob was a teenager, that population had nearly doubled to 33,000. Raytown South alums include John Carmack, who was one of the founders of id Software, makers of Doom, Wolfenstein, and Quake, and Mara Braca Keel, creator and executive producer, along with Kelsey Grammer of the TV show Girlfriends. Raytown South was famous for its basketball team and its basketball coach, Bud Lathrop. He was at the school when it opened in 1961 until 2006 when he retired. All in all, under Bud's leadership, the team won four state championships, earning 10 Final Four appearances and 35 conference titles. 254 of Lathrop's players went on to play college ball. Bobby Dernier was one of his players. He didn't go on to play college basketball, but of course went on to a professional baseball career. Bobby was a third-string guard on the basketball team, but Lathrop was a huge influence on Dernier. Part of Lathrop's team's success under him was their hard work and determination. No team would outwork them. He had odd training exercises, one of which in particular helped Bobby later in his career. The team would run drills with music blaring to prepare everybody for in-game crowd noise. And this also helped Bob prepare for future crowds at Veterans Stadium and Wrigley Field. While Bobby wasn't necessarily a basketball star in high school, on the baseball field, he had some more success playing shortstop and hitting 473. He was all state and his team made the state championship game losing in the final. And despite that great senior season, Bobby didn't get drafted in the 1975 amateur draft. Instead, he was recruited to play baseball at University of Tulsa, but they told him that he wouldn't see significant playing time until he was a junior. So he enrolls in a junior college, Connors State College, which has produced a few recent MLB players, Julio Lugo, George Kataris, and Jordan Romano. Bob was a journalism student, but after one semester, he decided to go back closer to home and transferred to Longview Community College in Lee's Summit. While there, he played in the summer Casey Stengel League and was an all-star. So Matt, earlier you read that Bobby signed in 1977 as a free agent. But actually, he was drafted in 1977 by Cincinnati in the 12th round of the January draft. But the Reds told him they didn't intend to make him an offer. They actually just wanted to watch him play the next season and see how he played and keep an eye on him. He ends up hitting 424 with five home runs, 18 stolen bases, has a really good season. But after that performance, he still didn't come to an agreement with the Reds. And he had chances to play at Wichita State and Kansas. But then the 
Phillies came through with an offer over the summer and a very lucrative $1,200 signing bonus got Bobby to choose professional baseball over Wichita State, and he just decided he was going to go for it. He ends up starting at A-ball, and at Spartanburg, he played shortstop, but he only hit 140. He had a 310 on base percentage, so he was showing a really good eye, but he ends up getting demoted to rookie league, and he's moved to third base because there's another young prospect at shortstop, Ryan Sandberg. Dernier hits 301 with a 424 on base percentage, four home runs, 29 stolen bases. Going back to rookie league helped him get back on track. The next season, he goes to A-ball, moves to center field, hits 291, steals 77 bases, which was the most in the minors that year, and was the Carolina League MVP. In 1980 at AA, a mirror image of 1979, he hit 299, added 92 walks to bring his on-base percentage up to 400, stole 71 bases and hit 10 home runs, a career high at any level for Bob, and that earned him a late-season call-up. September 7th of 1980, he made his first appearance, pinch running for Pete Rose, and got a stolen base. He played in 10 games, getting hits in his first four at-bats, which is pretty exciting. And the first line of this card, it's pretty great. 571 average with three steals in 10 games. Looks pretty good. There wasn't room on the playoff roster for the Phillies that year, so he didn't get a ring, but he did get a $250 bonus when the Phillies won the World Series. So despite that late-season call-up, 1981, he again starts at AAA, and he was fantastic. AAA Oklahoma City, he hits 302 with five home runs, 72 stolen bases, which was a franchise record for Oklahoma City. He earns another call-up once the AAA season is over, plays another 10 games, goes three for four. So now you got another 750 average line. After those first two call-ups, he had a 636 average in those first two seasons. The Phillies liked what they saw in that limited time, and Bobby made the team in 1982. He had a decent full rookie season, hitting 249, got his first major league home run on May 15th, and his second the next day. On the year, he hit four homers and stole an impressive 42 bases, which was a Phillies rookie record at that time, broken two years later by Juan Samuel. He was playing mostly center field that year and some in right field, and had a memorable moment off the field that year. June 23rd, he was golfing with Manny Trio, his dad, and an agent. And Bob fulfills a lifelong dream of any golfer, which is to hit a hole-in-one. And then, later that night, goes to the ballpark and goes 0 for 4 with a steal. I thought it would be, a you know, the, the perfect ending would be he'd hit a home run that night. But sadly, no, 0 for 4. The Phillies win 7-1. to and when you hit a hole-in-one, everyone finds out. And in fact, the next day in the paper, there was a report about Dernier's hole-in-one. The problem was that manager Pat Corrales had a rule that there was supposed to be no golf on game day. And so he fined Bob $200. Man, we've had some real money ups and downs so far in this episode, David. Yeah, make or break amounts too. $1,200 signing bonus. $250 World Series bonus, and now a $200 fine. His teammates have some fun with it. They put a golf flag out in the outfield for Bob during batting practice. Maybe some of the joking around cooled Corrales off a little bit. He ends up rescinding the fine. So Bobby doesn't get punished for his good golfing. Maybe learns to golf on, on his off days. So 
After that decent rookie year, in 1983, Bob was the Phillies starter in center field on opening day. But strangely enough, things took a turn very early on in the season. He really didn't last long as a starter. He only had two starts in April, made a bunch of substitute appearances, but was limited to only 11 at-bats before being sent down. He tried out switch hitting for a few games. His 1984 Topps card has him batting lefty on the front of the card even, although the back says he bats righty. But he was sent down to double-A to get some playing time in May and finally got recalled in June. Had a a good run of playing time getting 45 starts between June and September 1st when the Phils picked up Sixto Lescano. But really at that point, Bob was relegated to being a late-inning replacement only had eight at-bats the last month of the season. So very strange year, David. He played in 122 games and yet only had 221 at-bats. His batting average was down a little bit, hit 231 on the season. Still ended up stealing 35 bases. Probably some of those were in pinch-running scenarios. The Phillies made the playoffs, and this time Bob made the playoff roster. He played in one game of the NLCS as a defensive replacement and then was a pinch runner in game four of the World Series, scoring a run in a losing effort, and the Phillies would lose that series in five games. In 1984, Bob was frustrated by the outfield situation in Philadelphia, understandably, and asked for a trade. The Phillies wanted to send him to AAA to work on his hitting, which required him to pass through waivers. And the Cubs took a look and thought, "Mm, maybe we should make a claim on that. The Phillies had to either keep him on the big league club or trade him. And that takes us to this way to the clubhouse, that he was traded by the Phillies to the Cubs with outfielder Gary Matthews and pitcher Porfi Altamirano in exchange for pitcher Bill Campbell and catcher Mike Diaz, March 27th, 1984. We've talked about these guys a bunch of times. Because we just talked about Mike Diaz, we talked about Porfi Altamirano as Snydog's car. This is a huge trade, not just because of Rambo and Snydog's car. This trade brought in two-thirds of the outfield that would lead the Cubs to the 1984 NLCS. That was the first time that the Cubs make the playoffs since 1945. Sarge Gary Matthews comes in. Helped solidify the Cubs' clubhouse and had a great year, hitting 291, 14 homers, finishes fifth in the National League MVP balloting. Meanwhile, Bobby is told, if you can lead off and catch everything you get to in the outfield, you will be the Cubs' starting center fielder. Also, according to Bob, his mom told him that she preferred him in Cubby Blue. It complimented his eyes. Oh. And judging from the front of this card, I agree. Also, the eye black helps. You got to go with mom here. Dernier was the leadoff man ahead of his old minor league teammate, Ryan Sandberg. And Harry Carey calls them the daily double. Fans at Wrigley called him the deer for his speed in the outfield and on the base paths. Also because Dernier is a little hard to say. Dernier had a fantastic season. He hit 278 with 63 walks, more walks than strikeouts, and added three homers, so not very much power, but he had career highs with 26 doubles, five triples, and 45 steals, and played in a career high 143 games. So he really did the job in the leadoff spot. And he also did the job in the outfield. He caught most of what came his way, enough that he was awarded the gold glove. And surprisingly, this is the first 
time that a Cubs outfielder won a gold glove. So all of that and a winning team also helped Bob get some MVP votes. He finished 17th. And the Cubs also made another trade that season, bringing in Rick Sutcliffe. Rick and Bob went way back. Bob said, growing up in Kansas City, I knew Rick and what caliber of pitcher he was and competitor going back to 1974 as a junior in high school. Sutcliffe would go 16-1 and to win the Cy Young and help the Cubs win the NL East. That season also had the famous Ryan Sandberg game. June 23rd, Sandberg went 5-for-6 with game-tying home runs against Cardinals closer Bruce Souter in both the ninth and 10th innings to lead the Cubs past St. Louis 12-11 to in 11 innings. Willie McGee in that same game also hit for the cycle. But Bob Dernier had a big game himself. He went 3-for-5 hitting in front of Sandberg, and scored four runs, three of them driven in by Rhino, and also drove in two himself. So a really big game for Dernier. In the playoffs that season, the Cubs played the Padres. In game one, bottom of the first inning, the Cubs' leadoff man is the Deer. As Kennedy turned around and said something, as Dernier sends it deep left field, going back and looking up is Martinez, it's gone. Cubs lead one to nothing. Here's Schaub, throws a fastball. He's already behind in the count 1-0, and and he comes in with a fastball up and out over the plate. And in this ballpark, when the wind is blowing out, you can see your left fielder doesn't even go back on the ball. It is no... That's a pretty great way to lead off a series. Bob went 2-for-3 in Game 1, and the Cubs won the game 13-0. They probably should have saved some of those runs for other games, And Bob should have saved some of the hits for later, too. He went two for 14 the rest of the series. It just sadly wasn't meant to be for the 1984 Cubs, but it was a fantastic season for Bob. He said it was the best summer of his life. And that great year earned Bob a three-year extension for $1.6 million. The Cubs weren't able to repeat their division-winning ways. Bob also had a slow start, but he was heating up in late May and early June, got his average up to about in the 260s, and then he had his first serious injury of his career. On June 8th, he hurt his foot, and this required surgery. The timing of this was terrible. On June 11th, the Cubs are 35-19, and holding a four-game lead over the Mets, and they proceed to go on a 13-game losing streak that basically puts them out of contention by the end of June. They're in fourth place. Bob comes back in July. The team also dealt with injuries to their pitching staff with Sutcliffe, Trout, Sanderson and Dennis Eckersley all missing time throughout 1985. When he comes back, Bob is pretty good, but the team just couldn't recover from that losing streak and all the injuries. So despite that strong start, they finished seven games under 500. But in games that Bob played in, they were actually six games over 500. Pretty good with Bob in the lineup. He hits 254 on the season with 31 steals despite that foot injury. In 1986, a rotator cuff injury kept him out for six weeks in the midsummer, but he still stole 27 bases and was only caught twice. That 93% success rate was the best in the National League that season. But his batting average is down, only 225. In 1987, the last line on this card, we see a power surge, like everyone else in the league. Cubs hitting coach Billy Williams helped him with his swing, and the rabbit ball helped a little too. Bob Dernier had eight home runs, double his previous high. Just incredible power. He only played in 93 games and had 199 at-bats. But he slashed 317, 379, 497, 
and had an OPS plus of 128, which was a career high. Also in 1987, a very memorable moment for Cubs fans. Harry Carey suffered from a stroke that year and missed the first portion of the season. But when he came back, there's a famous story. So the Illinois governor, Big Jim Thompson, is there at the beginning of the game. He announces it's Harry Carey Day. The fans in the outfield are pumped. They want Harry to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. People have been sending cards, well wishes from around the world. Mid-broadcast, the phone rings, and it's President Reagan calling to extend his wishes live on the air. Illinois native President Reagan. He was born in Tampico. I have been to President Reagan's birthplace in Tampico, Illinois. He was born in a, a tiny apartment above a storefront in Tampico. Later, he moved to Dixon and also went to Eureka College. Let's go to the audio. We're in the booth. They said, Harry, there's a phone call for you. Harry? Hello? This is Ronald Reagan. Well, Mr. President, well, what a pleasant surprise. Well, listen, I'm just joining all your other fans across the country and welcoming you back in the air today. Well, that's awfully, awfully nice. I really, I really, I don't know what to say. I certainly appreciate it, sir. So Ronald Reagan had been a Cubs radio announcer in his younger days. There's famous stories about him reading the ticker tape and and the ticker tape breaks. And so he just keeps saying that they're fouling the ball off for 47 straight pitches or some such nonsense. But amazingly, Harry Carey, coming back his first game after suffering a stroke, he recalled on this call that they were in the booth together in St. Louis in 1952 when Ronald Reagan played the role of Grover Cleveland Alexander in the winning team. I know that Harry Carey kind of became a joke, but just an amazing baseball history repository and just really like an amazing announcer. So throughout this this call with Reagan, Reagan says, you've had a lot of big name celebrities. I'm not going to do a Ronald Reagan impression here. You've had a lot of big name celebrities fill in during your recovery, but there's no substitute for the real thing. And according to Steve Stone, they talked for a while And Harry said, Bobby Dernier just bunted for a single. I've got to get back to you. And basically hung up on the president. This story ended up being told on the U.S. Senate floor after Harry's death. It was included in his New York Times obituary. But Matt, I texted you earlier and I said, this might not be true. So we might have another 1988 Tops Mythbusters episode. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at this video. It doesn't show that part of the clip at all. The video ends where we ended it, basically, with Harry Carey saying, thank you, Mr. President. So hopefully, listeners, if you have audio of this game, or maybe it's on a MySpace or TikTok somewhere. Uh, It's got to be on TikTok. There's probably a Harry Carey challenge where people are lip syncing to Harry Carey's lines on this. So Harry supposedly... hung up on him because of this Bobby Dernier bunt single that distracted him. This shows that Harry's priorities were Cubs above everything, including talking to the president. It's actually a good thing he got off the phone with Reagan because this was a really exciting inning that he was in. But when I initially pull up the box score, it says Bobby Dernier went 0 for 5. Mm. There was no bunt single. But then I Mm. scroll down on baseball reference here. Bobby Dernier reached on E1 bunt, Dernier to first Uh. base. So Steve Stone was just a little bit off. 
Cubs end up scoring three runs in that inning. Dernier gets driven in by Andre Dawson off of the recently departed Tom Browning. A really exciting inning. Exciting enough to get you off the phone with President Reagan. But Reagan returned in 1988, joined Harry in the booth throughout the first pitch of the ball game. Uh, they remained friends. He clearly was not miffed by getting hung up on. I got to say, leaving all political talk out of it, it is refreshing to think back on a time when the president of the United States could call into the booth and just be part of a sporting event without it being seen very cynically. You know, Ronald Reagan has shown up in our show several times. You know, the all-star game with Rick Russell. Yes, it's nostalgia, but there is something nice about politicians and leaders back then doing the job of being leaders and being public figures and that not being weird or immediately cringe-inducing, which it seems to be these days. Matt, that was a Harry Carey-esque recall on your part that he showed up in the Rick Russell episode. Oh, I, I will never forget that one. 1988, though, it's time for Bob Dernier to go back to Philly. He signs as a free agent with the Phillies. He had a hamstring issue that limited him to only 68 games, but he hit 289 with 13 steals. And then we get to his final season in 1989. He had a few more hamstring issues. He dealt with both a pull and a tear of hamstrings this season, and it showed. He hit 171 and 205 at-bats, but he did have one very memorable home run. It was on a list in Bleacher Report of the most unexpected home runs in Philly's history. This was on May 15th, 1989. The Phillies are hosting the San Francisco Giants. In the top of the 10th inning, tied 0-0, Dernier throws out Will Clark at home to keep the game tied. In the top of the 12th, back-to-back home runs from Clark and Kevin Mitchell put San Francisco up 2-0. And so we go to the bottom of the 12th, down 2-0, two outs, but two men on base. Dickie Thon and Steve Lake are on base. Dernier comes up against Craig Lefferts, and we got another famous Harry in the booth here, Harry Callis on the call. Now it's up to Bob Dernier. Swing a line drive. It's a fair ball down the left field line going all the way to the corner. Here comes Don in to score. Lake being waved around. Mitchell can't pick it up. On a 1-1 count, Bob hits a ball down the third baseline. It ends up rolling under the wall, and Kevin Mitchell has some trouble both getting a read on the carom and then trouble picking it up as it's stuck under the outfield wall. Dernier, even though he's dealing with some hamstring issues, still has some wheels, slides headfirst into home. This is a walk-off inside the park home run, and we have now had multiple legendary Harrys making calls on this episode. And this was a a great last home run for Bob Dernier. Going into 1990, Bob was going to try out for the Mets. But after all these hamstring injuries, he just didn't have the same speed and decided to retire at age 33. So closing the book on Bob Dernier, 10 seasons, six with the Phillies, four with the Cubs, a 255 average, 23 homers, 218 steals, and a career OPS plus of 79. 
He's in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, the Raytown High School Hall of Fame, and the Reading Phillies Hall of Fame. A very good base thief and outfielder. A career steal percentage of 77.5%, which is 118th all-time. And he is 34th all-time in range per nine innings among outfielders, which is just behind Jim Edmonds. How about in retirement? He ends up spending 18 months golfing. And at this point, he doesn't have to worry about fines anymore. Since retiring, he has had three more holes in one. He often golfs with Willie Wilson, and I bet that is a quick twosome. He's remained in baseball, coaching in the Rangers system for a bit. He spent some time in the Cubs booth when Steve Stone was on medical leave and later joined the Cubs as a coach, working with minor leaguers as an outfield and base running coordinator, and then was first base coach for a little while under Mike Quade. He's currently a Cubs ambassador. He's been back to Wrigley a few times to sing the seventh inning stretch. And in 2016, when the Cubs won the World Series, Dernier was given a World Series ring in appreciation for his service, both as a player and as an ambassador to the team. Which is a very nice thing to do. So now that we've looked at Bob a little bit more, what do we think about him? Bob said of his career, a lot of players will look back at their careers with regrets and wishes to have done things differently, but I just feel blessed to have played in the big leagues and the 10-year-old boy in me still smiles at the effort I gave and the dream that came true. Bob had a really interesting route to the majors. He was a junior college player, free agent signing, initially demoted from A-ball, but he hustled and played hard, stole bases, played defense wherever he was put, shortstop, third base, outfield. And Dernier said that he and Ryan Sandberg played with chips on their shoulder. Dernier is basically undrafted. Sandberg was a 20th round pick. They weren't highly touted. They had to go to Chicago to get an everyday opportunity. They were important cogs in that 1984 team that brought so much joy to Cubs fans and postseason baseball to Wrigley Field for the first time in 39 years. Just a huge team that meant a lot to the city and still means a lot to Cubs fans. And Cubs fans don't forget those kind of things. And the front of this card looks like a guy that hustled. And that uniform, this must have been the beginning of the game because you know that that uniform was not clean by the end of the game. It was probably covered in dirt. Those pants are way too white. And Cubs fans loved Bob Dernier for it. Of course, the bleacher creatures yelling at him in center field probably spurred him on to play a little bit better. And Bob loved the Cubs fans right back and still does. Bob said, I always tell people that the best seat in Wrigley is playing center field. When you can see the silhouetted shadows of the fans at the top row of the second deck, and then you look behind you and you see the rooftops are full and the bleachers are full, daytime at Wrigley with a packed house and you're playing center field, it doesn't get much better. Bob was a gamer. He was just a guy who hustled, a guy who tried his hardest. And I think that Cubs fans appreciated that. And I think Phillies fans maybe didn't get to see the best of Bob Dernier, but I think that they probably appreciated Bob as well. Well, I'm going to agree with him. The daytime at Wrigley with a packed house and in the center field bleachers, it doesn't get much better than that. Looking again at the front of the card, this is definitely a guy that I would have been a fan of if he had played for my team. And the story of how he played seems like a great guy, and I definitely would have been a fan. So Thank you for the story, and thanks again to John Racanelli for the Sabre bio. And thank you to you at home. 
if you hit a hole-in-one this weekend, well, drinks are on you. You can find us on Twitter, at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.